0: So welcome back again to the second part of Sacred Space 102FM. My name is John Keely, still joined by Shane Ambrose on the other end of the Zoom line. And today we are fortunate and delighted uh, to have joined with us Dr. Ruth Patterson. Um, Dr. Ruth was, first, was the first woman to be ordained a Minister of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland in 1976. In 2003 she was awarded an OBE for her efforts in reconciliation She's written four books and numerous articles stemming from her commitment to unity and peace. Ruth, you're very welcome to Sacred Space 102 FM, and thank you indeed for taking time to speak with us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Maybe before we start, we'd like to start with our guests. Maybe you can share a little bit with our listeners, a little bit about maybe your family background, your faith upbringing, that type of thing, please. Okay, well...
1: My roots are really in Donegal, although I was born and brought up in the north. But my father was a a Donegal man. Um, They worked a a little farm on the extreme northwest of Donegal. Uh, He went on to become a minister in the Presbyterian Church. My mother, both parents born before partition. So my mother was born in County Monaghan. um, And she became a medical doctor and uh, we grew up as a Presbyterian minister's family which um, entailed moving around a bit, so I would have lived both sides of the border, north and south, and would feel equally at home in either place. Uh, I have an older sister who uh, was a a surgeon, she was the first female surgeon in the north actually, and a younger brother who lives in Derry. And uh, so I'm I'm the middle one, and uh, I suppose growing up in those years, when you were uh, what they called up here a daughter of the manse, there was a sense in which you had to watch all your P's and Q's, and uh, uh, as if you were uh, some sort of um, public display for keeping the faith or something, but you know... Uh, However, that's that's now largely gone, thankfully, and people are allowed to be <laughs> their individual selves. Not that my parents ever made it so, but mm. least it was the custom of the time. Um, and so, we lived in various places, and I went to uh, Queen's University and did a an arts degree and a social science diploma. And um, then I think when I went on to Canada for two years to study community development because I felt uh, a great attraction to community. When I was first a student in Belfast, the Presbyterian chaplain at Queen's was a man called Ray Davy who went on to find the Corimila community of reconciliation that some of you may have heard of. And um, he always stressed the importance of community and of Christian community in particular. And he introduced us to all sorts of fascinating people, including George McLeod, who founded the Iona community and um, the founder of the Agape community in Italy and many other places. So community and Christian community specifically has always been part of my life. And so, uh, when I got the opportunity to go to Canada and actually study this thing that was sort of like my heartbeat, that was amazing. And that was a a two-year master course. And in my intervening summer, I worked on Vancouver Skid Row. And this will date me, but it was the height of the hippie era. And everybody was going to San Francisco with flowers in their hair. And um, (laughs) uh, that reinforced uh, for me the whole concept of community because there were 30 of us from all over Canada who lived in a, a tumble-down uh, church and adjoining tenement block, and we lived wonderful community during that summer. So if the church was to mean anything, it had to be involved where people lived their real lives and worked and, and or didn't work, as the case may be, and, and sweated and suffered and so on. And that denomination wasn't the most important thing. And there was that that beginning of a sense that uh, Mm -hmm. all these things like religious denomination, gender, age, and all these other things are part of my secondary identity. But my primary identity is who I am in Christ. And so that was sort of further strengthened for me while I was in Canada.
0: And obviously, as you just outlined there, your faith was very important to you uh, because in 1976 you were ordained as a minister of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. Can you share maybe some thoughts around your faith at that point in your life?
1: Well, I, I think very briefly what happened was when I was in Canada, Ray Davy wrote and asked me to come back and be his assistant. He was a very enlightened man and he didn't have to have theological training and he always chose women to be his assistant. And I refused three times, but on the third time of asking, I felt it was right to come back. And that was 1968, which was a, a, just a turning point for all of us in Ireland. And it was the beginning of the civil rights movement. And I began to see that there was a need for some people who were trained not only in community or only in theology, but who could combine both in themselves because of the particular nature of what was happening to us. And also, so I decided to go and study theology. And for me also, I felt that to do that would put into context everything that I had done before. Because at that point, and even now, all these years later, I look on faith as a journey, that I never arrive, but there's always more and more and more, and there's continuing revelation. And that, for me, is what makes the Christian journey so exciting. So when I look back to the time of my ordination, uh, compared to where I've travelled to today, and I still feel as if I'm only at the beginning, I almost said yes in darkness back in 1976. And that was quite a tough road to hold, because not only was I... The first woman in the Presbyterian Church. I was the first woman in any denomination in Ireland. So, I was a bit of a freak. Or people, whether I liked it or not, were judging the whole question of whether women should be ordained or not ordained, and how one person, performed or failed to perform. So, um, yeah. So that was a time of of searching and questioning, and and yet feeling. Dag showed once said. Uh, weep if you must but do not complain the way chose you and you must be thankful and that's the feeling i've always had throughout my life that it wasn't so much that i decided to do something but that the way chose me
0: lovely and you know um also just when we were thinking about uh, the sort of questions we'd ask you you know just to give some people an idea our audience, um, somebody about all the work you do. In 1991, you also become Director of the Restoration Ministries. You were awarded an OBE for the services to reconciliation work. Can you tell us a bit about this this restoration ministries, please, Ruth?
1: Yes, well, I was Minister on a a coalface housing estate during the worst of the Troubles for 14 years. And out of that this concept of Restoration Ministries emerged. And uh, in 1988, a small interdenominational group of us got together to pray about the future. And as we did, the words of the 23rd Psalm kept coming, he restores my soul. And to cut a very long story short, um, we formed ourselves into a charity and Restoration Ministries was born, and I left parish ministry to go into Restoration ministry school time in 1991. There are two main thrusts to our work, healing and reconciliation. The, the one thrust is, is very private and confidential, where people find and find in us a safe place where they could come and really tell their story and be heard because people are never going to be able to leave a particular burden or hurt down unless they've been awarded the dignity and respect of being really heard, that someone's really listened. So we did an awful lot of work in that regard and and still do on a lesser scale now. And um, the more public side was to seek by whatever programme or means we could to provide as many opportunities for people to meet together across the different divides that constitute today's society and simply build relationship on the firm belief that attitudes are about hearts and minds and hearts and minds are changed through the building of relationship. So we were very firmly faith based. All our work is based on prayer and we've never been funded by any church or government agency, and yet we're still able to be in existence today, which just makes me want to stand back and wonder at, at God's provision and His goodness.
2: God. Bruce, that's that's um, that thing of, of 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 interconnectedness and 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 just reaching out to the other. I suppose you know, looking at the world today, there's 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 part of us that might feel that in some ways, um we've almost gone backwards in terms of, of, of that, in terms, not necessarily here in Ireland, but I mean kind of in a w- wider sense, uh, that there's very much a them and us dynamic to a lot of what's happening in the world at the moment. And sometimes I suppose that people, you know, people might be very stressed by that, by concerned by that. Kind of from your perspective and and, and your experience of of working in that kind of an area, Yo, do you have hope? And what would you say to people?
1: Yes, of course, I have hope. But hope is not the same as an easy optimism, which disappears when the first winds of adversity begin to blow. But hope is is something much deeper and and stronger. And the hope, um, uh, one of the things we we have found is that. Uh, we're not very good at the big grandiose acts, but the only way that we can counter what you were describing, Shane, is bit by bit, by the, the repeated, the domino effect of the little actions of reaching out, reaching out a hand in friendship, of um, actually living acts of, compa- simple acts of compassion and kindness, that actually provides uh almost an invisible base for hope in any situation where there's conflict because it, it, in a way that we will never be able to explain this side of death, I believe that it counteracts that tidal wave of what we could almost describe as evil and um, uh, dehumanization and diminishment, which we see everywhere. And it would be very easy To drown in a tsunami of of all of that. Every time you turn on the news, there's something else about the the sort of almost the the cruelty of people to one another. And the move from uh, dehumanization to demonization is a very small step, uh, and that's happening a lot. But we have to counteract that by the affirmation of faith, very often flung against the darkness. That love is at the centre of the universe and God is love. And that's what I would affirm, again, in despite sometimes of all the seeming evidence to the contrary.
0: Thanks for that, Ruth. Um, these days, of course, we all have another problem, uh, another issue to, to deal with in our lives, maybe for the last year. Um, it's COVID, COVID COVID-19 so these days we're all living with these restrictions what's been your experience of COVID
1: restrictions? Well probably like everybody else's I live on my own but there's always been a lot of contact because I live where I work because of the nature of the work we've been doing so of course there's been isolation and I haven't always dealt with that very well Um, but then maybe none of us have uh, but I, I mean, nothing. Someone said to me the other day, this is worse than the troubles up here in the north. At least we were able to meet with people. At least we were able to to um, give someone a hug, express our relationships in what, whatever way we wanted to. But now, you know, this isn't possible. And that sense of of being isolated has been very hard for people. And at times I have found it very hard and, and you wonder what's going on. At other times, I have thought, you know, there's always a gift somewhere and there's the other side of the coin. And while during my my experience of over the last year, I've had several, um, the details don't matter, but fa- several fa- fairly difficult things to to live through. But looking back, and retrospective guidance is a great thing. Uh, the overriding feeling that I have is, is thankfulness for the mercy of God. Um, and I don't mean that to sound pious or overholy. I really mean that uh, sometimes from the depth of, of, uh, of despair. You know, so. mm. It's been a strange time. We couldn't alter it but we can we could alter the way we reacted to it and i suppose that's been a journey you know when the last choice the last choice left to us when everything else has been taken away is to choose how we react to a situation and uh, i'm always learning that i never Mm. i never totally get it right Mm.
2: I suppose that's that's fair. I suppose for many people, one of the challenges with, with COVID has been the fact that we've seemed to be sure. so not in control. Mm-hmm. And um, as you said, it's that you know it's not that we can ever be in control. You know, there, we 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 that, that sense of control is is sometimes is an illusion. But as you said, it's being able to say to ourselves, "I decide how I will react to this," mm-hmm. uh, gives a person that sense of. It's me that's doing this. I'm not being buffeted along by the tides of, of history or the winds of change. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's that, you know, I can somehow determine m- my position in the world. And I, you know, that's actually, that's an important thing I I'm suppose to say to people, um, you know, particularly as we're coming kind of at the, at where things are standing at the moment and we're in transition in and out of lockdown and all, the, and all of that, Because it's not going to be the um, the easiest thing for people to transition out either. Uh, mm-hmm. quite a few people have said that actually right. you know they've gotten used to it you you adapt mm-hmm. you've gotten used to it, but mm-hmm. you know it's getting mm-hmm. back out with people is the challenge yeah.
1: yeah, and so how do we energize ourselves to to do that and one of the little phrases that has been uh going a- around and round within me and I'm trying to live it is well it's really in the form of a question: how do I live? the future i long for in the present moment because that in itself is a statement of hope um and so so that when i eventually fully emerge from this liminal space i won't have to start at square one <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, Bruce, Bruce
2: would you mind would you mind repeating that again for our listeners what what the question that you pose yourself could you say it again
1: yeah how do i live the future that I long for in the
2: present moment. Powerful. It's a powerful question, and it's it's mm-hmm. it really puts it up to us to say stop kind of worrying about the future that may be. How would you mm-hmm. want to make it happen now? Mm-hmm. And that's that's a challenge for us, I think. Uh, would you say Ruth that you know that we we oh, sometimes true. we live in the past and the mistakes and the conversations we wish we had. We worry mm-hmm. about the conversations and the things we're going to do, and sometimes we forget about now.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean that's one of the one of the biggest things that's been with me right throughout COVID. That the challenge of living in the now, in the present moment, with all that it holds, be it you know shadows and light, but but fully living in the now. I mean, um, I remember once years ago it was the first book by Father Richard Rohr that I I read, called Everything Belongs. And he said something that just has stayed with me ever since he he talked about um, we cannot attain the presence of God because we are already totally in the presence of God. But what's absent is awareness, you know, and, and little do we realize that he's maintaining us in existence with every breath we take. So every moment he's choosing us, you know, now, now, now. And then he he finished that little statement by saying, we have nothing to attain or even learn. We do, however, need to unlearn some things. And gosh, I've been in a school of unlearning.
0: <laughs> you know, um, just maybe just to finish up there, Ruth, uh, there's, uh, maybe there's one question I'd like to pose to you um, what, what would you say to people who are struggling to making any connection with God in this, the 21st century island? There's a lot of challenges. There's a lot of options.
1: Gosh, if I had the answer to that, I don't know. But just I, uh, thinking about that, I would say that sometimes we strive too hard to make connection. The connection is already there from God's side and again it's about uh, awakening to that and so I would want to say to people just relax a little stop striving and 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 let go and 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 tap or choose to dare a little to tap into a love that's there for everybody and you'll never really find it unless you start practicing letting go a little. I suppose maybe, you know, I've heard people say a lot recently, I don't believe in God, and yet when something bad happens, they blame God for it. (laughs) But uh, I would want to say to people who say they, they can't believe, or they don't believe, well, just let's put that to one side for a minute, and let me say to you, you may not but God believes in you. God believes in you. And see how that begins almost unknown to you to, to very gradually transform something inside yourself.
0: Beautiful. Beautiful, Ruth. Thank you so much indeed for that. And unfortunately, as usual on this program, we're, we're caught for time again. Um You'll stay with us actually for the for the, for the next part, of, for the third part of the program, where we, we read and reflect on the Word of God.
1: Yes, yes. Perfect.
0: Thank you. But before that, there's a piece of music you'd like us to to listen to. Can you introduce that to us and maybe the reason why?
1: Yes, it's a it's a song called "May I Suggest This Is the Best Day of Your Life," and again, it's that living in the now. And I had my. Niece, sing it for me at the 40th anniversary of my ordination it's a very special song to me just because the specialness of the now even this now when the three of us are talking together, it won't come again like this, it's the best day of our life
0: Ruth, thank you so much for that, so let's listen to May I Suggest by Red Molly come back and join us again in part 3 where we read and reflect on the word of God
2: May
3: I suggest to you May I suggest this is the best part of your life. May I suggest this time is blessed for you. This time is blessed and shining almost blinding bright. Just turn your head and you'll begin to see a thousand reasons that were just beyond your sight The reasons why why I suggest to you why I suggest this is the best part of your life there is a world Addressed to you, intended only for your eyes. A secret world, a treasure chest to you Of private scenes and brilliant dreams that mesmerize A tender lover's smile, a tiny baby's hand the million stars that fill the turning sky at night. Oh, I suggest yes, I suggest to you yes, I suggest this is the best part of your life.
1: There is a hope
3: that's been expressed in you the hope of self May be more. This is, the faith. this is the faith that they invest, they invest in, you. in you. It's that you'll do one better than was done before. Inside, inside you know. You know. Inside, you understand. Inside, you know what's yours to find.